0: Good morning, thanks for tuning in. It's Tuesday the 12th of October. I'm coming to you once again from Lexington, Kentucky. Dawn is yet to break here. It has broken, however, in the UK with some sad news and that is the death of the three-time Grand National winning owner Trevor Hemmings at the age of 86. A much-loved, hugely popular figure. Lydia Hislop is with me this morning. Lydia, the loss of Trevor Hemmings will be very keenly felt.
1: Somebody who I think everybody who who met him feels very warm towards. He was a a great supporter of, of jump racing, a champion and supporter of the Grand National through thick and thin, and became the joint most successful owner in the race with Hedgehogs' victory in 2005, Ballabriggs in 2011, Many Clares in 2015. But more than anything, the the, the personal element of him—he was a very approachable, friendly man. He was a genuine fan of the sport, of the sport, and he was humorous and warm. And he always had time and wanted to. Have a chat. So when he had the success, such as Trebolgan in the RSA and Alberta's Run dual win in the in the Ryanair, everybody felt very warm and pleased about that. Um, obviously, he scaled back his operation last September. Um, he'd been financially quite hard hit by COVID, but he still had a tremendous strike rate and was able to enjoy last season victory in the Ladbrokes Trophy from Cloth Cap and also, memorably, from Vintage Clouds. I think that the horse's fifth try in the Ultima in managing to win. Um, but yes, he's going to be hugely missed by the sport.
0: Well, in a moment, I'll be talking to Oliver Sherwood, the man who trained many clouds to win the Grand National for Trevor Hemmings. But first of all, David Minton, the bloodstock agent who was alongside Trevor through all his ownership life. I put it to to David that horse racing was more than just a hobby. It was a a great passion. Completely.
2: We talked every Sunday morning, virtually every year for the last 25 to 30 years. And his uh, his love of it all from the breathing side Obviously, you had stallions, you had mares, uh, uh, but the racing side was obviously paramount, and then the green, the yellow colours.
0: Well, we'll forget them. You've worked with hundreds of of top owners, owners of of significant means uh, over the years, jumping and and on the flat. What was it about him, his character, that made him different and made him so well um, well loved in the sport?
2: Well, he was so down to earth. I mean, he was a self-made man. He went up to Chorley as a, a war baby, and and he he, built. he showed me one day we stopped driving around. He said, "I built that with my own hands." It was a little bungalow, and he built built that. And then obviously went in with Fred Ponchin, and he became he was he was a he was a people man. He could talk. He he talk to anybody. He would loved um, going round and, and the haycock. They adored him because he always had a table and the owners there. And I think it's the way he, he just loved everybody and would chat away. He, he, was, he was, he could be also, he, he didn't get there from being a rich man to, to he was quite um, tough with people as well, obviously. You have to be. But he was just a, such a genuinely honest, nice man.
0: And, and clearly the, the pleasure he took in the animals themselves yeah, equaled the pleasure he took in seeing them win win big races.
2: Oh yes, I mean he was—he was—he uh, was, was a great winner. He was actually a very, very good loser as well. And if, you know, he was unfortunately enough enough to lose a horse. It was amazing how he, he, he worried—he worried more about the lad looking after the horse and the trainer losing horse than he did himself. You know, I mean, he was—it um, was extraordinary in that, in that way. He was a, a wonderful loser, but but a great, great winner. And we, and we had some tremendous times with and the parties after the nationals were great, and uh, he, he was just a, a thoroughly honest,
0: goodness, decent man. And uh, speaking with him earlier this year, he he clearly had not been in the best of health in the last few years, but his his spirit was absolutely one hundred percent intact, and he was in absolutely no mood for for slowing down in terms of his enthusiasm and his passion for the for the game. He
2: certainly was not. I mean. Ten years ago, we were very worried about him. He had a terrible problem with the foot and his toes, and he, he was quite a bad diabetic. But a wonderful man who looked after him in Wales, Professor Owens, who, who looked after him like his own child, really. And he, and he pulled him through that, and he was, in fact, he has been in great form, really, recently. And um, although COVID tied him to the other man, which was sad because he couldn't get out and about that very much, but this year, you know, I went to the sales and he, didn't, he couldn't kind of get out of the Alaman. And we bought more three-year-olds. And then, to cap it all, he suddenly decided to take on himself the August sale at Perez. He jumped in the helicopter one morning and off he went. He bought five on his own in August. I mean, quite extraordinary, man. Quite extraordinary
0: sometimes. And as you say, people have such a great fondness for, for seeing those silks on horses they love. Do you think the the legacy will will be able to continue in some way?
2: Well, I, 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 funny enough, I did talk to him about a year ago about the future, and I, I think for the, we'll, we will see the, the the coming season. He always said, "Just see the season out if anything happens, and uh, then take a view at the end of that." So basically, the horses will continue. Mick will be in charge for the next for the foreseeable future. Uh, and then we'll take a, a take of rain check next year. What will happen to some of the three-year-olds in Ireland? Yes, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm just going to ring Mick in a
0: minute and discuss it with him. I, I know an enormous shock to you all, and um, what a what an enormous uh, figure he's been for the sport. Thanks so much for talking to me and sharing your memories. Thanks, mate. Well, the man who trained many clouds and, of course, many more horses for Trevor Hemmings over probably nearly three decades is Oliver Sherwood who who joins me now. Oliver, uh, what was your reaction to, to the news last night? Tremendous shock, uh, really,
3: because uh, I, I talked to David Minton who who buys a lot of his horses every Sunday virtually and I was asked how's the boss and he said on Sunday in great vessel talking about Preston North End and obviously some of his horses getting ready so uh, to get a text or, from Minty last night was... I couldn't believe it, Um, and uh, apparently it was all very sudden and uh, went in his sleep, having sat down and everything, so good way to go, if it is a way way to go, but just tremendous shock. (laughs) Just a a proper man, he understood the game, Um, he understood the the ups and the downs, Uh, he let us get on with it, uh and he didn't try and ask where to go or what to do or when he just let let us get on with it um it was just he was just a lovely man to deal with and on top of that as i said uh, early on today to somebody he was a proper gentleman he was just a terribly nice man uh forgetting the whole side of it he was just a just a, a, a gent, and it's very unusual for that, for somebody without sounding snobbish or anything, for somebody to come up from the roots he came from, to finish up where he was, was a testament to his own um, personal uh, uh, demeanour. He was just a remarkable
0: man. Uh, the journey with Many Clouds was a was a remarkable one in itself, and, and one that I... Uh, you and, and most people in the sport would never experience again tell me a little bit more about his his own role in that his part in that
3: uh, well, well go go at the finish start with, without trevor hemmings telling asking me to or telling me to run him in the national i wouldn't have run him in the national so that that's the end of it so that's that's his his uh, strength from that department the rest of it I, I always used to go up or still go up in the summer to look at the horses at, at the stud uh, which is just north of of, of manchester uh, and, and haydock in racing terminology and i would look at the horses as do other trainers and i just loved this horse by cloudings who then wasn't particularly fashionable as a stallion and uh I, I fell in love with him and just saw what a cracking horse he is to look at and blah, blah, blah. And then the end, end of July time, you get a phone call from Mick saying, right, the box is coming down with X, Y and Z. And he said, there's a couple of horses of mine which I had the previous year. Oh, and by the way, we're going to put that clouding source on for you. I thought, oh, great, fantastic. Because he did say to me when I was up there, Mick, that the cloudings would probably stay up north. It might be easier racing for them. Uh, for the clouding source anyway he came down and uh, say the rest is history Uh, after his novice chase campaign the Hennessy was always on the the agenda and it's very unusual as you know and most people who understand racing know to make a plan and to actually come off is quite unusual but the plan worked and uh, that was hugely satisfying for everybody concerned uh, and then obviously we went on to the Coswell Chase and when he won that race uh, we were going to go for the Gold Cup and uh, that w- didn't work. He just didn't fire that day with due respect to the horses in front of him and then I uh, we thought he got, had enough and gone over the top and it was Trevor who said, well look come on, it's either the Nationals or, or nothing or right in the field. And I was sort of toying with the idea of Bet Fred's and other races like that which is ridiculous. And so he we, we ran in the, in the national and, and he won. So, I mean, without him, I wouldn't have run him in the national and we wouldn't have won a national. So that is all down to Mr. Emmings.
0: Uh, uh, clearly, your know, many clouds touched a lot of people's hearts and you lost him in tragic circumstances at Cheltenham. Uh, how, much, um, how much did Trevor's support to you around that time matter?
3: Oh, huge. Uh, I mean, Mick was there that day. Uh, McMah and um, he rang the boss uh, straight away after he went, and Trevor knew straight away, and he was on the phone to us, um, and he looked after an in inverted commas, our staff for a bit of a uh, uh, a few drinks in the in the pub to sort of commemorate him that that night or that weekend. Um, uh, and he got us uh, a, a lovely bronze he had done of, of many clouds and other things you know so uh, wherever we go at home there's thoughts of 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 many clouds uh, and and, uh, and now of mr hemmings as well because he'll live in my heart for the rest of my
0: life that i can promise you very fond memories of trevor hemmings from trainer oliver sherwood and before that from the bloodstock agent uh, david minton with whom trevor had worked for uh, over 30 years uh, just so many good horses and that that last story Lydia about uh, Trevor making sure that the the stable staff were, were well looked after after uh, many clouds uh, premature death was, was was quite striking.
1: Absolutely uh, not surprising that Oliver was moved in the telling of it um, I was moved in listening to it I'm sure everybody else is as well and uh, if you want to mark with the man that's it I think.
0: Let's move on to today's news. We'll talk about uh, Champions Day. You've had a bit of a chance to digest the, the entries. Uh, there were a few notable omissions yesterday, but still loads to look forward to. I, I suppose the big question now is, does Adar run in the Champions Stakes?
1: <laughs> it would be interesting, wouldn't it? I suspect his best trip is a mile and a half, but nonetheless, I'd be really interested in, in him there. Um, he would add... Um, a, an extra bit of depth to it. Um, I'm also your eyes drawn and focused on, in my view, to, in the, the QE2. I mean, cause that just looks a, a fantastic clash uh, between primarily Palace Pier and Baye, but some, some others as well, who are very, very high class horses who um, are in the mix. I mean, Uncle Free, obviously, Master of the Seas, Ben Battle, if they all turn up, it's going to be a super QE2.
0: It is. I wanted to ask you about Palace Pier, only defeated once in his entire career when, you know, but for better luck, even in terrible ground, he might have won. Had you know the things panned out a little better, is he a slightly underappreciated champion? Do you think?
1: Yeah, I think actually, funny years. I mean, I tend to find Tyson the you know doesn't get the recognition he deserves. Sentence, um, but I, I do think somehow, for a horse that should be unbeaten, probably, or or you know had genuine excuses when beaten in the QE2 last year. Um, and has strode through the season in the Lockinge, uh, the Queen Anne, and uh, most recently um, in the Jack Lemawar. I think potentially he has he has been slightly undervalued, only slightly. I mean, clearly. Um, the ranking system, um, we hear from James Willoughby every every Friday and his ranking system um, doesn't undervalue him in any kind of way. I suppose it might be a feature of, of how competitive this season has been, maybe, that there isn't just, you know, there hasn't just been one dominant horse. We've had a series of uh, top class horses, all of whom are at the best in slightly different circumstances. So maybe it's that. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it nonetheless because clearly the the clash with Bayid is is, is a compelling one with that horse having come from um, nowhere and races a, as, a, as a two-year-old to suddenly uh, being unbeaten in five starts and making very fast progress. It's going to be an exciting match.
0: What made me prick my ears up listening to William Haggis on this podcast yesterday, and if you haven't listened to it, do go back and listen to it, was when he said they had, had a, a very um, troubled run up to the Prix du Moulin. And you can only infer from that that if they haven't had a troubled run into this, he can do better than he did in the Moulin, which will still win a Group 1 on just his, his fifth career start.
1: Yeah, that was the inference, wasn't it? That was, that was, that was, that was interesting. Um, and also just the way he is in his career. You know, it, it, is, it is not illogical to feel that there is more to come from him.
0: Well, the Chief Executive of British Champions Series and Great British Racing is Rod Street, and he is with me now. Rod, you've taken a look at the entries for for Champions Day. What are your first thoughts?
4: One of great excitement, really, Nick. Um, I don't think we were expecting Adair to be entered, and, and Charlie Appleby obviously announced that on Sunday, that he was keeping him in. So, as it looks now, and obviously we've got to get to declarations on Thursday, but as it looks now... There's strength in depth throughout. It's a it's a brilliant card, and and um, today as a former racecourse operator, I'm always really anxious until the gates open and the first race is run. So I won't be counting any chickens. But it, it, there are some great clashes in the in the QE2, in the Champion Stakes, in the other races on the card. We couldn't be happier with
0: the entries, and and we're now incredibly excited. And you mentioned you won't be happy till the gates open. When the gates do open, how many people are you expecting to to flood through them? Are early indications positive?
4: Very much so. We're in. We're expecting well over twenty five thousand people on site. It will be the largest number of people to have attended Ascot Racecourse since two thousand and nineteen, thanks to COVID. Um, So that would be brilliant that they have got a big crowd on site. The only difference this year is we didn't run the student initiative, which we've run in in previous years with a real focus on getting um, a younger audience to come and enjoy some of the best racing in the world, just because of the COVID um, situation and the long term planning that's needed for that. So we just decided to leave that for this year. But we're selling tickets well. The top two enclosures were sold out nearly a month ago there's still some availability in the Queen Anne, but it's going to be um, a, a busy day with lots on.
0: And a, a fascinating piece written by Lee Mottishead, who appears regularly on here in this morning's Racing Post, just detailing how the event has moved forward through the, through the last decade. And I know you're always looking to, to push on, expand, make changes. You're pretty unequivocal now about the need for a, for a seventh race m- moving forward.
4: We think so. The, the consistent consumer feedback we get ev- every year when we, we do contact the race goers and ask them for their view on the day is that they think it's a, a brilliant day. Obviously, the racing is top class. The attractions that we put on and the, and the look and feel of the day um, make it special. But the consistent bit of feedback we get is that they would like a seventh race. The day goes rather too quickly. But what we don't want to do is just bolt on a, any old seventh race at the end of the card. If you like to, to make up the numbers, because we think the day is is better than that, so it's finding the right opportunity. Um, and something we've discussed numerous times previously is identifying a, a high class two year old race to complete the card, and that's not easy. It would mean probably doing some trading somewhere within racing to find the kind of race that we want. But, um, I think as David Redvers said as well, you know, that we we, we still have. Ambition, us and and the sponsor to to expand the card and and focus on its quality.
0: Yeah, you're going to get no argument from me on adding a two-year-old decent two-year-old race to the to the card. That's for sure. Uh, and as uh, as far as personal highlights for you, Rod, over the last decade, everyone knows that. Kipco British Champions Day got off to a barnstorming start, thanks to the best horse any of us are ever likely to see. But are there moments during the course of that decade that have a particularly special place in your heart that perhaps might not be obvious to the rest of us?
4: There are a couple, actually. Um, on a racing front, um, I think the, the race between Noble Mission and Al-Kazim and that that brilliant finish and that, that moment for, for Lady Jane Cecil to to land a, a Group 1 was was brilliant. The atmosphere after that race was highly charged and very emotional. I remember how much it meant to her. I remember how uh, incredibly gracious Al-Kazim's owner John Deere was in the moment as well, when he must have been himself very disappointed not to have won that race. And that stood with me as a, over time as a special moment. And then a really personal moment goes back, um, it must have been about 2013, was I, I? I had a cup of tea um, after racing um, in the winners' room at Astor with Dermot World and Pat Smullen. Um, he'd won he'd won the race on Forgotten Voice um, that year and had a, a, another typically successful day. And that's the only time I'd really ever sat down and, and had a chat with Pat, who was lovely and charming and humble and all the things that people know he was. And and so um, I, um, in light of, of losing him more recently that that's always one that i treasure that i got a chance to meet him and and have a chat with him but this day throws off so many great moments and has created so many memories for lots of people it's been interesting on social media in this last few weeks people have been sharing um, their stories and their pictures from the last 10 years and it's all gone rather quickly nick hasn't it
0: rod street chief executive of british champions series and an important announcement yesterday the the queen her majesty the queen was inducted into the Kipco British Champion Series Hall of Fame, which featured on the ITV News last night. Uh, this is not a, uh, a decision, I'm sure, that was a particularly difficult one to, to take, Lydia, but nonetheless a, a, an important one. And it's good to see the Hall of Fame gathering some steam.
1: Yes, it's, it's, it's good to see the, uh, all the various categories um, filling up and, and people being celebrated in the way that they should. And I'm quite taken, if you go to um, uh, the Hall of Fame, um, horse racing hof hof at the end of horse you can see a, a tribute to her majesty the queen and I was really taken by uh, the phrase that she has been a constant companion to the sport since the mid 40s and I think that that's right I mean she's an owner a breeder an ambassador and most of all she is a fan and this piece recognizes that because anyone who's seen her majesty the queen in the paddock before races, can can see that this is an authentic and real passion of hers, and she's not just looking at her own horses; she's looking at other people's horses. And I think fellow fans recognise that.
0: Now, Lydia, I want to talk about uh, the obligation on the bookmaking industry um, to produce what is known as a single customer view. Now, tell me what this is and why they have been asked to produce one.
1: Okay, so a single customer view will uh, enable, in theory, different gambling operators um, to share information to prevent customers from losing unaffordable sums. And this is because of the concern about vulnerable people losing large amounts of money uh, via gambling and that being allowed to to, to essentially get out of control ac- across the industry. and This is why the betting industry is under such focus. Now the Information Commissioner's officer, Office has advised the Gambling Commission that the sharing of data may be lawful. Now clearly it, it, it seems to me that first of all that uh, legal arguments in this area need to be hammered out. We need more clarity on the legality or otherwise of any data sharing or or, or the the arena of data that we are currently in before we then move into the, the next system and uh, it's it slightly concerned me that on the gambling uh, commission website that uh, tim miller the executive director essentially seemed to have said to the gambling industry you know you go away and find find a find a system to to, to sort this out because i feel that some that, that obviously that the industry the betting industry has to be the, the core of this at the center of this but i think it is absolutely paramount that there is independence and that somebody independent has the casting vote has the ultimate power here and whether that is an ombudsman that's a that, that I think uh, is is a good idea that could be be, be something that, that is pursued but um we need to find something that is beneficial to the consumer and not necessarily uh, to the industry itself so therefore it needs to be a very precise tool and it needs to be a tool that could not uh, potentially be used for commercial gain so in my view um, I think we, this, this review, at the end of, the, of the, the review into gambling, we need to come out with something akin to an, an, ombud, an, an ombudsman, someone who is independent and has some power within this space and some access to justice for vulnerable people. Um, and, you know, we need to find a way to ensure that betting companies cannot profit from vulnerable people. Um, and I think this is important to horse racing because this is a horse racing podcast because you know unless there is this element of independence um, and unless this tool only um, targets those who are potentially vulnerable and not your everyday punter who doesn't really um, have any issues here people will just get fed up of the hassle of trying to have a bet so this is a a massive decision and it needs to be taken very very carefully (music)
0: Well, I thought it was time for a Zaki update. You'll remember that before he ran in the might and power stakes last week, Zaki had climbed to number five in the TRC global rankings. And James and I talked about this on Friday. Now, Zaki was beaten at long odds on at two to seven uh, the other day. And there were various theories as to why that might have been uh, ahead of his bid to win the, the Cox Plate, for which some bookmakers had already paid out. Uh, such a certainty was he considered by many of the Australian racing public his trainer Annabel Nisham is with me again now uh, Annabelle what was your what was your view on the the race the other day
5: yeah Nick I, I mean I, I actually had a couple of runners at Ramwick and I had a two-hour gap in between where he was running so I I went home I was very nervous I was cleaning my blinds actually which I've never done I was trying to keep myself busy the house never looked so spotless and um yeah watching the race i thought after a furlong it was over um it was just a, it was just those small fields i don't i know you have small fields in europe but the small fields here they end up very much tactical affairs and it just never really ran to suit he was sort of restrained and um it, was, it ended up basically being a sit and sprint and he was beaten um by a very good mare who's probably a little bit underrated I think in the market I think she's only lost once at Caulfield she's a real Caulfield cool cool specialist and it's, it is quite a tight track and, and a lot of horses don't handle it and I, I can't find an excuse with him pulling up he's pulled up a treat Um Touchwood, he's a very sound horse and he seems very bright and well but I think for him all of his wins to date he's been bowling along um, and he's sort of hit the front quite far out and probably his greatest asset is he puts lengths on them coming around the home bend and he just didn't really get that opportunity that day and um look i'm hoping that's the reason why it it was more tempo related than anything else but yeah needless to say i was disappointed but can't find an excuse with him so we're just pushing on to the cox plate and um you know, he's still favourite for that race, so there's still a little pre- bit of pressure on. But I, yeah, I can't fault him. So I suppose I can be as confident as I can leading into a very big competitive race.
0: Now, what what's the jockey situation with the cars play? Because in Australia, am I right? The COVID regulations have meant that the jockeys aren't allowed to move between states. Is that right? Or aren't allowed to move between jurisdictions?
5: Yeah. So at the moment. um I'm obviously in Sydney and New South Wales, and we've just opened up on Monday, which has been great. Um, we've sort of 75% opened up, and the, the shops and the and the pubs have opened up, um, albeit there's a few restrictions. Um, but down in Melbourne, they're, they're probably two or three weeks behind us um, in terms of, you know, that COVID hit them a bit later than us with this wave of COVID with the Delta variant. Um, so we're a bit further ahead we're 70 percent vaccinated we'll be 80 percent by next week i think um so we've started to open up um but at, at the moment it's hard to you you can now as of last week you can now get to melbourne but there's a few restrictions in place so we're just waiting for the green light james mcdonald partnered him last preparation and and in the tramway this preparation needs. a He's a fantastic. He's 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 the best jockey. He's seen as the best jockey in Australia. So, I'm desperate to get him back down there. Um, he's desperate to get down there, and I feel like we're 75% of the way there, but we're just waiting on the final tick um, for the the quarantine. Um, but if that happens, he'll certainly be partnering him.
0: Okay, looking forward to them being reunited if it's possible. Um, if there's no pace in the Cox Plate, would you? Would you be worried about him making the running in a race like that?
5: I I don't think
0: I would. Um,
5: I think the main thing with him, you, you saw his victory in the Durban Cup. They went he split and they, they broke a track record. And they went quick the whole way. And I actually remember at the 800, at the, the half-mile mark, I remember thinking, just wait, James, you've gone way too early. And, and I was wrong, he hadn't. Um, so... Probably looking at the likely field without knowing the final field, I, there's, there's not a whole lot of, there's some, certainly no natural leaders as far as I can see, so I think James, James being James, he doesn't really look at speed maps, he very much rides them on field, um, but he he knows the horse and you know he knows his greatest asset is that big stride of his, so if nobody wants to take it up, I, I suppose I wouldn't be surprised to see it. Um, it's always a bit nerve-wracking being the leader in a race, trying to win a race, but um, that's why you, you try and get James on because he's the best in the business and if he thinks that's where the horse should be, he's probably he's probably right.
0: Now, talking of big strides, you've picked up top rank from James Tate's yard and also Law of Indices from uh, Ken Condon's. They're two pretty serious horses to be going to war with. When, when are we likely to see them out in, in Oz?
5: Yeah really exciting horses um they've they landed on Sat- late very late on saturday night um and with the lockdown i wasn't able to see them till monday which was yesterday um but yeah top rank he's a very big imposing horse i'm sure some of some of the um english contingent have seen him um he's a seriously good looking horse and he was a bit on his toes the first day but um this morning he he looked pretty relaxed going around the track and um we could see him you know as close as two or three weeks time i think really for him um we'll be looking for the autumn with him there's there's the doncaster which is a mile handicap and you've got the queen elizabeth which of course the day one um and you know that's the pinnacle probably for the for those middle distance races that's the pinnacle of our autumn carnival so we'll certainly be aiming him at, at those targets um we could see him in a couple of weeks, but there's only really a 1,300-meter race, which could be a bit sharp for him. But um, we'll just see how he works towards the end of the week. I haven't galloped him yet. Um, and Law of Indices, I rode him this morning, um, and he gave me a beautiful ride. I said to Matt, who's looking after the horses for me in quarantine, we've got a, a lovely horse from Joe Lyons called Rev Devol as well. Um, I said, give me one horse to ride this morning, and he, he picked Law of Indices out for me, and um, he felt beautiful, really lovely action on him and he won the, what's it called, the Prison Prep over the 1400, so we'll see him in the Golden Eagle, which is a seven and a half million dollar race on the 30th of October and um, I think he, you know, if he he can translate his form, probably on his European form he might be better with a bit of cut in the ground, but it's raining at the moment, so I'll be um, hoping it continues to rain a little bit um, so he can get his toe in, but I think he you know on his european form he'll be right up there with the best of the horses There's you know maximal's come over for john o'shea he looks a lovely horse as well and combine that with with our best four-year-olds it'll be a great race
0: annabelle neesham there with some serious horsepower to go to war with interesting that she's added top rank and laws of indices to her team and thanks to her for her update on zaki now lydia is back with me Lydia, we need to talk about this jockey's championship. So few between Asheen Murphy and William Buick, but it seems to be taking an intriguing twist and turn every day. Obviously, Dave uh, Yates and I spoke yesterday about um, Asheen and and the weekend. And then William Buick went to Wolverhampton uh, yesterday, Monday, for what turned out to be an utterly bizarre Uh, sort of afternoon
1: so he had a a a winner in the first at Wolverhampton closing the gap temporarily to five then he had a beaten favorite then a horse bolted to post with him then one horse was uh, his next mount was withdrawn on veterinary advice and then his next mount was also withdrawn on veterinary advice and his last three rides all finished second so it was a bit of a tumultuous day meanwhile Asheen Murphy went to Kempton that evening and won one race from six mounts and so the lead or the disparity between them now has returned to six and they're both at Leicester today with William Buick jocked up on twice as many mounts as Asheen.
0: Yes, yeah, so his agent's clearly doing a very good job. And I believe that it is one said Buick Mount that you are going to advise um, listeners to back today.
1: It really is. It's Persuasion in the 350 at Leicester. That's a 7 furlong handicap. This horse is lightly raced. We know he's going to handle the conditions and the track. He was second in this race last year. He's still feasibly handicapped. He's round the five to one mark. So that's Persuasion in the 350 at Leicester.
0: Lydia, thank you. Thank you to all my guests today. Uh, to Annabelle Neesham, to Rod Street. Best of luck to him and his team for what is such an important day and weekend ahead for Kipco British Champions Day. And at the beginning of the programme, to Oliver Sherwood and to David Minton, paying tribute, as the whole racing world has done, to Trevor Hemmings.
5: I bought two falls last year, so I'm an optimist. Um, so um, we're going to look forward to what we will, the future does. all. Look, you live for every day. You take the vaccine because you want to continue to live. You don't give up. You go forward. I don't. When the man rings for me, I'll have to go. But he hasn't rung because I've not given me number. But when he gets it, no doubt he will. But for the moment, I'm loving it. And I hope everyone else around enjoys the national and life like they should. I wish everyone well and I wish everyone happiness. And I hope all those people who have been sadly affected by the COVID, I hope that they have some good luck in their future, because
1: everybody needs a little.